All right, guys, how's it going? My name's Drew. I'm the lead pastor of Salt City Church, and the difference between me at Salt City Church and here is that at Salt City, I wear cardigans, and at Salt Company, I wear hooded sweatshirts. But other than that, I open the Bible and teach God's Word. I'm excited to be with you guys here tonight. I love college students. Something I love about college students is that college students are asking the question, what is the purpose of my life? What do I want to do with my life? And the way that most of your peers are answering that question is they're saying, I'm going to look inside of myself, see what my desires are, and whatever my desires are, I'm going to try to meet those desires, and by meeting those desires, I will find the purpose of my life, and I will find happiness. And that theory can be debunked with something I'd like to call the middle school theory. Here, okay? Think, think with me for a little bit. Think back to middle school, okay? Six, eight, ten years ago. And think about what you desired when you were in middle school. Maybe you're thinking of a middle school dance and that certain someone that you desired. <laughs> or maybe you're thinking about the people that you idolized in your life. And you look back and frankly, even as those memories roll back through your mind, you're embarrassed. You're like, I can't believe that I desired those things. Now imagine if those desires had actually been fulfilled. You would not be happy. Your life would be ruined. Okay, so here's what the middle school theory is. If you would have regretted what you did 10 years ago, then you would regret what you're doing now or what you're desiring now 10 years from now. And I can speak from personal experience personal experience because I'm 34 years old, and so I can say that I am just as embarrassed about my college days as you are about your middle school days. And there are people like my parents who would look back on my days and they would say, I'm embarrassed by what I desired then. And if I would have gotten everything I desired, I would have ruined my life as well. So it turns out that in seeking your own desires, you don't make yourself happy you actually ruin your life. And so Jesus has a different theory on what makes us happy, what gives us purpose, what fulfills our lives, what makes our desires actually come to fruition and come true. And that is not when we look at our desires and say yes, but when we look at our desires and we say no, and we begin to say yes to Jesus being the king of our lives instead of us being the king of our lives. So we're in this series at Salt Company called The Story of Everything. And last week, Jordan laid out with clarity the gospel message. And he talked about the resurrection of Jesus. So Jesus lived a perfect life. Jesus died in your place for your sins. And Jesus has risen from death and ascended to the right hand of God. He is king over everything. And so what we're going to see is that Jesus, in accomplishing our salvation, did not do that for nothing. He did that in order to reveal the purpose of your life. And here's how we're describing that purpose tonight. We're saying that King Jesus 
sent them, that is the early church, but also us, his spirit to empower them to live in his name as members of the new people of God, the church. So what we're going to do is we're going to walk through the book of Acts and we're going to see the three purposes that King Jesus has for us. And those three purposes are to be filled with the Spirit of Jesus, to be in the family with Jesus, and to be on mission for the name of Jesus. First one, to be filled with the Spirit of Jesus. We're looking at Acts chapter 2, verses 14 through 18. One of the purposes of your life is to be filled with the Spirit of Jesus. But Peter, standing with the eleven, lifted up his voice and addressed them. Men of Judea and all who dwell in Jerusalem, let this be known to you and give ear to my words. For these people are not drunk as you suppose, since it is only the third hour of the day. But this is what was uttered through the prophet Joel. And in the last days it shall be, God declares, that I will pour out my spirit on all flesh. And your sons and your daughters shall prophesy, and your young men shall see visions, and your old men shall dream dreams. Even on my male servants and female servants in those days, I will pour out my spirit and they shall prophesy. So here's where this passage falls in the book of Acts. Jesus has come. He said to his disciples, you receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you. You will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. He says, this is what you're supposed to do. Go into this upper room and just wait and the Holy Spirit's going to come. So they all go into this upper room and they pray and they wait and the Holy Spirit comes. And all of these people unexpectedly start speaking in different languages. And all these people who speak those languages are standing around and they're saying, why are they speaking in my language? I don't think they speak my language. These people must be drunk. Peter's like, it's nine o'clock in the morning. They're not drunk. They're filled with the Holy Spirit. And I got some Bible verses to prove it. So he flips over mentally to the book of Joel, which was written hundreds of years before these events, which says that the people of God are going to be filled with the Spirit of God. But here's what's unique about what Joel prophesies, which was unknown previously is that all people would be filled with the Spirit of God. See, if you read through the Old Testament, there's different fillings of the Spirit of God. But for the most part, the people who are filled are either prophet, priest, or king. They're not servants. They're not daughters. They're not sons. They're not young and old. It seems in the Old Testament... Like the only people who are really filled with the Spirit of God are very special, set-apart, small group of people. But what happens after Jesus' life, death, and resurrection is that the Spirit knows no boundaries of gender, race, or class. And so the Spirit is freely poured out and people are filled. But here's what's true. It's possible, having believed in Jesus, to have the Spirit and not be filled with the Spirit. Paul says in the book of Ephesians, 
Do not get drunk on wine, which leads to debauchery, but instead be filled with the Holy Spirit. So here's what's true that we see in the book of Acts. These people are filled with the Holy Spirit in accordance with their obedience to Jesus. Jesus says, go and wait for the Holy Spirit. And they actually did what he said. They went, they waited for the Holy Spirit, they prayed, and then they were filled with the Holy Spirit. Keep in mind, they didn't seek the special miraculous gift. They didn't say, okay, I really want to be filled with the Holy Spirit so I can speak crazy languages and that'd be really cool. No, they just do what Jesus told them to do. And in response, they are filled with the Holy Spirit. Here's what I think is true. Some of you are unwilling to do what Jesus has told you to do. And because you are unwilling to do what Jesus has told you to do, even though the Holy Spirit dwells in you, you're not experiencing the filling of the Holy Spirit. You will experience the filling of the Holy Spirit when you obey Jesus and then you see him come through for you. Okay, let me illustrate this a couple ways. One of the fantasies I have is that I could go to the YMCA and suddenly become Michael Jordan except in my body. And like the guys that I normally play basketball with would not know what happened. And I would just grab the ball, take off from the free throw line, and dunk on them. (laughs) Okay, not Michael Jordan now. I'm talking like 87, somewhere around there. But if somebody told me, if you go to the YMCA, Something crazy is going to happen, and you're going to be filled with the ability of Michael Jordan, and you're going to be able to dunk on all these people. In order for that to actually happen, I would have to go to the YMCA and play basketball to see if it was true. And some of you, you've heard this news about the Holy Spirit, and you believe that it's true in theory, but you're unwilling to step into what God has for you, and so you're not experiencing the filling of the Holy Spirit. Let me bait you another way. Second illustration. Okay, there was this friend of mine, His name's Kyle. And Kyle went overseas in obedience to Jesus to Haiti. And he was on a mission trip there, and he was going to stay there for two months. And there were some different groups from my church going to visit him in Haiti during this time. And so in obedience to Jesus, to share the word of God with people who didn't know Jesus yet, he went to Haiti. And after like a week or so, Out of nowhere, God gave him the miraculous ability to speak Creole. Just out of nowhere. And so people from my church started going to visit my friend Kyle in Haiti. And they're coming back, like group after group. These are like week-long mission trips. He's there for two months. And they're like, we didn't know Kyle Edgel spoke Creole. And then what happened is, He was there for two months. He came back and he wasn't able to speak Creole anymore. He didn't go to Haiti so that God would give him the miraculous ability to speak Creole. He went to Haiti and the Holy Spirit filled him in response to his obedience to King Jesus and he got to see the miraculous power of God at work in his life. Did you know, Christian, that when you step out in obedience to Jesus, 
you will get to see his power at work in in your life. What's holding you back? It's fear. It's anxiety. It's this individualism and independence that's bred in us by our culture instead of the perspective that's given to us by the word of God. There was nothing special about these people. They were ordinary, just like you and I. And they experienced the filling of the Holy Spirit by God's grace because they simply put themselves in a position where God had to show up. What have you done in your life lately that requires God to show up for you to succeed? If you're not walking in faith, you won't experience the presence and the power of the Holy Spirit. So that's the first purpose King Jesus has for his people, to be filled with the Spirit of Jesus. But not only as Christians are we given extraordinary power, we're also placed in an extraordinary community. The second purpose that Jesus has for us is to be in the family of Jesus, in the family with Jesus. Okay, Acts 2, 42-47. And they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship, to the breaking of bread and the prayers. And awe came upon every soul, and many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles. And all who believed were together and had all things in common. And they were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all as any had need. And day by day, attending the temple together, And breaking bread in their homes, they received their food with glad and generous hearts, praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to their number day by day those who were being saved. Don't you want to be a part of a group like that? They're listening to the teaching of the apostles. They're hearing Peter, James, and John preach the word of God. They're believing it. They're having fellowship together, which means they're saying, I believe in Jesus. You do too. This is so awesome that God has given us his spirit, that he's given us this mission, that he's put us in this family. They're eating food together, and and they're saying these prayers together with each other. And as a result of their devotion to both God and to each other, They're getting the opportunity together to see God do extraordinary things in their midst. So here's what's true of them. There's this combination going on between this radical devotion that they have to God himself. In other words, these people are getting alone with God. To be devoted to the apostles' teaching means both that they're devoted to obeying it, but they're also devoted to knowing it. And you can't know the word of God unless you spend time alone with God. They're praying with each other, but they're also praying in private. They're having daily conversation with God. But it's not just they're connected to time alone with God, they're also connected in community with one another. That's Christian community. If you're spending time with people, but you're not spending time with God, you just have community. If you're spending time alone with God, but you're not spending quality time with other Christians, you might be a wise sage, but you're not a biblical Christian. 
A biblical Christian is somebody who spends alone time with God and spends time in community with other people as well. If you spend time with God, but you don't spend time with people, you'll actually be a mess. You'll become conceited about your relationship with God. And you'll also become blind to your own weaknesses and sins. But if you spend time in community, even Christian community, without spending alone time with God, the community will become a substitute for God and it will leave you devastated. Okay, so what King Jesus wants for you is true biblical community, which involves a vibrant relationship with God and vibrant relationships with others. And the reason that he puts those parameters around your life is because he loves you and he wants what's best for you. I was reminded of this the other day when, well, actually it was, was it today? Yesterday, yesterday, yeah. So I wasn't excited that it was snowing in April, but my kids were, okay? And so my kids, they all put on their snow pants and they're just this like posse together, right? And they go out onto our trampoline in the backyard, which had snow on it as well. And my wife, Melissa, and I are just looking outside, and our kids are just having an absolute blast together, which doesn't happen all the time. (laughs) We have five kids. And so we were just delighting in that. We're just like, this is hilarious, because I don't know if you know much about my family. My oldest has special needs. I have two kids adopted from the Congo. We're just a rowdy bunch. My family's not normal. And it is just so fun to see this diverse community of people in one family, enjoying time together. But do you know why their enjoyment together is possible? Because they spend so much time with us. We're constantly checking on them, constantly pulling them aside, teaching them things about how to interact with other people, don't hit your brother or sister, say sorry when you do something that's wrong. And so their relationship with us makes the type of community that they have possible. And likewise, your relationship with God makes this type of community possible. So what's your tendency? Is your tendency to be more of a person that prioritizes the spiritual disciplines? You're in the word of God. You're in prayer to God. You're reading good Christian books. You're listening to podcasts. You're making sure that Jesus is number one in your life. Or are you a person who kind of quickly thumbs through the Bible, quickly says your prayer, so that you can get on and you're just with people in this room all the time? Do you need to re-up on time alone with God? Or do you need to re-up on vibrant, Christian community. And when you are spending time with other people, are you being a consumer of those people? Trying to get your needs met by them for love, affirmation, respect? Or are you living in this type of community where you're seeking actually to love other people and meet their needs? Jesus is calling us into a type of community that's unknown 
to the world. And some of you, you've tasted that. You've seen that. You've begun to experience that. And Jesus, in and through this passage, is rooting you on, and he's saying, what you've already been doing, pursue that more and more. So when Jesus is in your king, you live in community with other people. And then what's true, okay, you're filled with the Spirit of God, you're in this vibrant community, when you're experiencing something that's that amazing, you've got to share it with other people. And so here's the third purpose that Jesus has for his people. To be on mission for the name of Jesus. Okay, buckle your seatbelt, because I'm going to read a bunch of verses. Okay, here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to show you from the book of Acts that God has saved these people, he's filled them with the Spirit, he's put them in community in order to send them out on mission. So I'm going to start with Acts chapter 8, right after the church has started to experience this intense persecution. And I'm going to give you one set of verses from Acts chapter 8 through Acts chapter 17. And the only reason I'm stopping at 17 and not 28 is because I didn't have enough room on my paper. All right, But I could have read you more verses. But here's what I'm showing you. The church was formed to be on mission for the name of Jesus, not to just be a tight-knit community. So Acts 8.4, Now those who were scattered went about preaching the word. 11.1, Now the apostles and the brothers who were throughout Judea heard that the Gentiles also had received the word of God. Acts chapter 12, 24 through 25, But the word of God increased and multiplied, and Barnabas and Saul returned from Jerusalem when they had completed their service, bringing with them John, whose whose other name was Mark. Acts 13, 48-49. And when the Gentiles heard this, they began rejoicing and glorifying the word of the Lord. And as many as were appointed to, to eternal life believed, and the word of the Lord was spreading throughout the whole region. Acts 14, 1. Now at Iconium, they gathered together into the Jewish synagogue and spoke in such a way that a great number of both Jews and Greeks believed. Acts 15, 39-41. And there arose a sharp disagreement so that they separated from each other. Barnabas took Mark with him and sailed away to Cyprus, but Paul chose Silas and departed, having been commended by the brothers to the grace of the Lord. And he went through Syria and Cilicia, strengthening the churches." Acts 16, 31 through 33. And they said, Believe in the Lord Jesus and you will be saved, you and your household. And they spoke the word of the Lord to him and to all who were in his house. And he took them the same hour of the night and washed their wounds, and he was baptized at once, he and all his family. And Acts 17, 16 through 17. Now while Paul was waiting for them in Athens, his spirit was provoked with him in him as he saw that the city was full of idols. So he reasoned in the synagogue with them, with the Jews and the devout persons, and in the marketplace every day with those who happened to be there. So here's what we see in, the, in these passages. They're speaking the word. They're reasoning with people. They're spreading the gospel. You see Jews and Greeks and Gentiles, people from every tongue, tribe, and nation coming to know Jesus. You see baptism. You see listening. You actually see persecution if you read between the lines. You see action. You see that the church of Jesus Christ was not meant to be a static, 
comfortable institution, but was meant to be a church planting powerhouse. If you are part of the church, Jesus, King Jesus, has a mission for your life as part of the local church. We are to spread the word of God, to share the good news that we have been given with the people around us, no matter what the cost. Why is that freedom? Because in our culture, be honest, right? That sounds horrible. Sounds horrible because it'll cost us almost everything that's precious to us. Our reputation, maybe our standing in society could cost you your job in the future. And increasingly in our society, it seems like there'll be a cost for standing with Jesus. So how is that possibly the path to happiness and purpose and freedom? Here's why. It is miserable to live for the glory of your own name. Most people are trying to convince everyone else of something that they don't believe, that they're awesome. Isn't it exhausting? I mean, just even keeping up the image on your social media profile or trying to pursue health and fitness in a certain way or trying to dress a certain way to impress other people or starting to get into that mindset of the American dream and pursuing the right house and the right car and the 2.5 kids and you're exhausted just even thinking about it and you're thinking, what if I don't get this? But then you'll be even more disenchanted when you do get it and you realize that you've been chasing a mirage. It won't fulfill you. It won't make you happy because you were not made to live for your name. Something is deeply broken in each one of us and we've turned in on ourselves. And we've tried to find our happiness in a creature, namely ourselves, that God has made rather than the creator who is blessed forever. The only person that will fill your heart and your imagination and give you your wildest dreams is God himself. Because you were meant to live for him alone. I want you to do this thought experiment with you, with me, if you would. Imagine that you never had a thought about yourself again but you only thought about the beauty around you and the brokenness around you and the God who made the beautiful things and the God who's here to fix what's broken. And you could forget for a day, for a week, 
for a month, for a year, for a lifetime, for eternity about yourself. If you could just stop looking in the mirror and trying to find your worth, and instead you had a passion for this God who made you, would your life be better or worse? Do you know what I think is beginning to be stirred in you? That would be freedom. My chains would be gone. That would be worthy of giving my entire life for. That's what Jesus is talking about. When he says, seek first my kingdom and my righteousness and all these things will be given to you. You see, when you seek after God, he's going to provide the clothes. He's going to provide the friends. He's going to provide the food. He's going to provide everything that you need. And what you will get thrown in is the very presence and purpose of your life, which will literally fill your imagination for eternity because it can never be taken away from you. That's why you've been filled with the Holy Spirit. That's why you've been placed in this community. So that we can be the type of place that says, it's not about you. It's about Him. And as we begin to orient our lives around that, we will find the purpose for which King Jesus designed us for and the very freedom that all of the people around us are looking for. And they will begin to ask us, what do you have that I don't have? And you will have the opportunity to tell them. And then your joy is going to be doubled. Because the only thing greater than finding your joy in God is finding your joy in God with other people. So here's what I want you to do. Not so much look inside, but I want you to look to God right now. Because what I'm talking about would be a miracle if God would do that all in us. Imagine if he did that in all of us in a substantial new way right now on the spot. Let's ask him to do that. Let's bow and pray together. Jesus, we are so naturally oriented in on ourselves. And as we hear your word, we want to be transformed. We want to be changed. But we admit, we can't do it. And so we're asking that you would give us the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Christ Jesus. That the God who said, let light shine out of darkness would shine in our hearts to give us the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Christ. That we would be crucified with you, Jesus. That we would no longer live, but Christ would live in us. That the life we live in the body, we would live by faith in the Son of God who loved us and gave himself for us. Would you captivate us with the glory and the beauty of your face? And would all of the idols look small? 
next to the blazing glory of your holiness, God, and grace. In Jesus' name, amen.